0: Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join today, he's the CEO and founder of The Sleep Consultant, CEO and founder of Biotech Copy and Entrepreneur. It's Riley Jarvis. How are you doing today, Riley? Doing excellent. Thank you, Alex. And how are you? Doing good. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your Rise to the Challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up. So when I was a kid, it was an interesting one. I moved around
1: a lot as a kid. And the reason was, was because my dad was in the hotel industry and he was kind of a manager within hotels and kind of the rule, at least back then was they only stay in a position for like two to four years before they move on. Even if they're doing really well, they just always want a new rotation. It's like a term in office, right? They just want like new experience and everything else. i not the one person to stay in one for a while. So because of that, I was originally born in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and then I moved to Calgary, back to Vancouver, to London, Ontario, then to Ottawa for almost, you know, 20, 25 years, I would say. We moved, I think it was in 97. So yeah, it's, it's it was a lot of time in Ottawa, the capital. A little bit of a sleepy town. Um, you know, it's it's good to visit, but at the same time to live there, it's, you know, but at the same time, you're a two-hour drive away from Montreal and you're a four-hour drive away from t- Toronto. So if you want to escape to the excitement, you can, which I did, you know, I would go to a lot of concerts and I was a big music junkie back in the day, <laughs> still kind of am to an extent. But uh, yeah, that's kind of what I did. So as a kid, because of that, I was just traveling, making new friends, having to adapt to new schools through elementary school through high school and so it was just because of that change you know it was a lot of adaptation at once and i'm the oldest of four brothers three younger brothers so i kind of had to lead the way and show by example sometimes which was good in some ways but not great in others when you know i would go to a house party and yeah you know maybe drink too much <laughs> and it wasn't a good for my my brothers to figure out at the time but you know sort of since then
0: we all need those experiences and then uh, you'd never want to do it again <laughs> During the time traveling to all those places, yeah. do you have like a memory that sticks out, like a fun time going to a certain spot and kind of just enjoying that environment?
1: Absolutely. So when I was in, it, it's kind of like those those random memories you have when you're a kid. And the one that um, I had was when I was four years old living in Calgary. And in there they have something known as the Calgary Stampede. And this is where, you know, it's kind of like a cowboy kind of thing. It's sort of a festival festival that goes on for about a week's time. You know, they'll do like professional, um, uh, like playing like they're doing a a showdown, like a Wild Wild West style and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So it's been going on for years, which is amazing. And I remember just being there, having cotton candy. Um, and then I think it was in that same trick. We we went to the theme park, I think in the Edmonton Mall. It's the biggest mall in Canada. And they have a, you know, theme park inside of there, too. So I remember just being so happy no worries, no obligations. Uh, parents were there for me, anything I wanted. And then, uh, yeah, age of four, that was kind of the one that really stood out to me. And, you know, the rest of my childhood is a little bit of a blank. I remember um, just a second one quickly was when I was living in Vancouver, um, my parents didn't have a lot of money. We lived in a two, uh, two-story two house. And because of that, we would get a lot of um, immigrant students um, mm-hmm. from Korea and Japan to come and, I guess, the government would pay my parents so they could stay there and everything else like that because they needed the money. So it was really cool. Like they would make us dinner and you know, the Japanese and the Koreans, uh, they're so friendly and they're so polite and they really just want to please in whatever way possible. So I do have, you know, long-term memories back then of them being very nice and everything like that, just being very clean and everything. You know, I think just because of that exposed me to this international thing very quickly, not as much as some people who have parents who are diplomats, and they travel
0: around the world, but I feel like I got my fair share. You talked about how you were the oldest of your brothers and kind of leading by example. Did that feel like a lot of pressure to you that you had to kind of be perfect? Because if they follow in your footsteps in the way that you were, that Mm -hmm. it kind of could be a domino effect and kind of have a bad upbringing in a way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it was. My dad was, because he was a manager, he was kind of like that type A alpha personality, always the go-getter, always pushing us to get like like really good grades, competitive sports, you know, just that whole shebang. Because I was the oldest, I set the example, and I feel like he was probably the hardest on me compared to everybody else. So I remember back then just becoming very stressed because, you know, I was trying to be perfect, but at the same time, you want to relax and have fun with friends at the same time. Yeah. So I was definitely worried, I think in the background, um, you know, just, I really cared about my brothers. Didn't want them to see me in a negative light uh, or just do something themselves in a negative light. Cause you know, kids at that age are really innocent. If you get involved with a bad crowd, whether you know it or not, you know, you're you can go down downhill pretty fast and to recover from that, you know, it can be quite a stretch, like even a decade sometimes. So um, I think that's, I mean, thank God now, like we all turned out pretty good. We all have a pretty good head on our shoulders, whether it was me or my parents or, you know, their friends, combination of everything, who knows,
0: but uh, yeah, it's a good place now. Especially so true nowadays, especially with technology and social media, getting those kids at that age, even the high school days where if they start at the young age, partying drugs, alcohol, it kind of just, you don't know what path they're going to take because they're going to take that same mentality into college or maybe not even go to college. And Mm -hmm. I definitely didn't experience that. I kind of was like, Mm -hmm. I didn't even want to be there, but then college it's like, okay, Test the waters in a way and see where it goes, but it didn't bother me. I mean, I didn't go down that route either, but it's so (sighs) true that especially those kids, those age, it could make Mm -hmm. a huge impact in their life if they go make the one wrong mistake. Yeah, it
1: really does. And like kids are so vulnerable at that age, right? At the end of the day, kids at that age, you know, grade six, seven, eight, you know, when you leave elementary school, grade six, you know, it's all just funny or doing certain things and you really don't like kids don't really know who they are yet. But when yeah. you get to grade seven and eight, you go to high school and it's like all the local elementary schools in that district get together, you know, and kids are going through puberty. And at the end of the day, kids just want to belong. And then all the groups separate, you know, like the popular kids, the nerdy kids, the goth kids. And, you know, at the end of the day, they just want to belong and probably not you know, be alone or something like that. So they'll do whatever it takes. And, you know, a lot of the time that involves drinking, going to parties, you know, and just all that stuff. And I'm, I'm definitely one uh, to do it at
0: that time. And, you know, there's peer pressure and everything else. So you're definitely right with all that. You talked that you're a music junkie. What was that music you grew up listening to? So I played, uh, I'm trying to remember what grade it was, 2005 so
1: I was probably just in grade seven, eight, nine. I played a lot of video games. I was a massive gamer back in the day. And one in particular was world of Warcraft. Okay. And I played that game, you know, for like seven hours a day. My grade, my grades plummeted. But while I was playing that, you know, I just listened to music in the background. I'd go to friends' houses who had older brothers who were listening to cool music. And a lot of that music was a lot of like trance music. Um, you know, it's just timeless music that keeps going. Other music though, it was kind of uh you like queens of the stone age there was um you know like them crooked vultures just kind of kind of rock and grooving kind of music um i got into some metal too at the time nothing too crazy but you know just some of the stuff from europe that was going on um and which made for pretty good gym music at the same time
0: i was you were naming all those groups i'm like i've never heard of these now i'm gonna (laughs) have to go listen to it on a spotify and see what they're like would you say that those music individuals kind of played an influence in you like kind of like maybe you wanted to go down a music route or anything i think so yeah um i was i just felt like i had an appreciation
1: for music that a lot of people did not sometimes i uh, could not stand the radio like i always had to turn the radio off whenever i heard like the top 40 hits like i remember nickelback um, <laughs> i mean their music isn't that great to begin with but it was just like this bland sound and compare to you, you know, it's I'm not to say like I'm this music contemporary, but uh, compared to, you know, music that has different depths to it and music that you can like I just found like when I would hear it, I'd really get into that I would share it with a friend, they would just hear it as the music but those those music and the notes would actually give me emotions and it kind of made me feel like. Like, maybe there's something to this. Like, do I have a musical taste that nobody else sees? And then I thought, well, maybe I should try an instrument. Now, fast forward till today, I never did. I only played Rock Band and Guitar Hero. And that was it. But, um, you know, that was something that, uh, you know, just like of all friends, biggest Spotify list, it could have been like everything from the Beatles to like Elvis, you know, all the way to like um, Enya to like trance music to like opera to like heavy metal. I mean, I really liked it all. And I think around the time, you know, Justin Bieber was really popular and stuff. And it just, you know, Justin Bieber, Drake, some of the songs I thought were great, but it just wasn't for me. So when you go to the club, you know, in the bar and stuff, and people would be singing certain songs, like just one in here, out the other, no idea
0: what it was about. You're going to start a riot in the comment section with, with, with that <laughs> comment. And I just, but it's all, that's always been like, I feel like it's kind of a co- conversation that people, are they good or are they not good? But yeah. I think music is something that's so special because everyone has what they prefer, what they mm-hmm. like. And mm-hmm. you kind of learn more about that individual based on the music they do listen to why they like a certain genre why they like a certain artist and they Mm -hmm. say you mentioned how the kind of the emotions the feels that you get from a certain song i think it's so true because you might listen to one song i might listen to the same song and we both could have different opinions on how we like it do we not like it things like that so it's very a great way to express and kind of learn more about a person
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, it's it's fascinating with all the different senses we have, like hearing, touch, smell, and everything. Smell, I think they say is the biggest one that can bring you back in time to a certain sort of memory. But yep. music too, and it reminds us of certain parts of our life. I read recently as well that uh our music taste when we get older is formed like while our brain is forming around the age of 13, 14, 15. And I was thinking, hmm, well, that kind of makes sense because during the time I was listening to that music, kind of kind of st- stuck with me now. And that's sort of what I'm listening to to some degree, and you know, somewhere you know just it branches out right so um and the bands that i saw live back then um still like them today and who are similar to them so it's it's all along those same lines so it's interesting i ask people like who did you listen to when you're around that age and sure enough you know they're listening to kind of similar music
0: now or at least they'll go back to it i would have to look back at my ipod to see what i was listening to because i i can't even remember yeah. We always are asked that question. What was our dream job? What mm-hmm. was that dream job for you? So when I was a kid, uh, cause my dad was in business. One thing that
1: always appealed to me was, um, like stocks and, uh, you know, the stock market, you I actually saw the movie limitless and that was back. I th- forget when it came out. I think it was in high school. And, um, the premise of that movie is you just take one pill and you just become this ultra genius. And uh, Bradley Cooper was starting that movie. And because of that, this whole entire world changes. Brain was operating like 20 times the speed. He became, became this ultra genius. Robert De Niro was in there too. And he became like a multimillionaire. He got any girl he wanted. He was traveling the world and like, when I spelled this as a kid, I was like, he was speaking any language he wanted. And when I was a kid, I was like, I want that. Like, how do we do it? <laughs> so I kind of thought like, where, how do I make money? Well, you the money is, which is finance. And, you know, I kind of started getting into the stock market and I eventually took finance in school when I went to um, university here. And uh, yeah, it kind of took off. Then I went into, you know, bank related jobs. And then it kind of took a completely opposite turn running my own businesses and um, more health related things.
0: When you were in those financial jobs, was it fun for you? Did you like enjoy waking up and going to work to do all that? Because you hear so many different stories about finance jobs. It could be a mess one day, it could be so enjoyable the next day. What was that like for you?
1: Yeah, great question. It was initially when I was in there, I thought I was a big shot. And I realized the whole time when I was in that finance job, it was just ego that was carrying me at the end of the day. The reason that I went into it wasn't the reason that I wanted to stay in it. And it was just, I mean, it's, it just depends. Like I found just naturally numbers came good to me, but one thing I couldn't do is just repetition all the time. And looking at the same Microsoft Excel, you know, spreadsheets doing mm-hmm. the same equations, you know, every single month, every single quarter, nothing, you know, it just kind of felt still to me. And to only get like a, every year, if you did a top-notch job to get like a three to five tenk increase in addition to bonus, I mean, that was nice too. But just to see where that was going versus like some of my dad's friends were entrepreneurs into real estate, and they had their own schedule, they had their own freedom, and they were making so much money, paying little in taxes. That really appealed to me. And what I realized afterwards is what I'm ultimately looking for is that sense of freedom. And this took a lot of time for me to figure that out. But you know, it's having having my own schedule, doing what I want on my own terms, and uh, you know, finance can do that. For you to you know to a certain degree and point, but um, it just depends what you're going into. But that anyway, that just took me a while to figure out on
0: my own. Do you think if you didn't watch Limitless, that maybe your perception of that job would have been different? Because you kind of went in kind of wanting that lifestyle or kind of yeah. what was featured in that movie, and you uh-huh. went in that direction. Do you think if you didn't watch that movie but went into that job, maybe you would enjoy it or it would be a different outcome for you?
1: I think so. Yeah. It's kind of like the matrix. Like you can yeah. either take the blue pill or the red pill. And I think by watching that movie, I took the red pill. So I saw what was on the other side. And once you see it, you can't go back. Yep. You can't just pretend it's there. So I think, you know, if it wasn't limitless, it may have been a few other things too. But if I stuck with the blue pill and, you know, it just became like a corporate nine to five slave. Not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but just my perception of it at the time, um, you know, I probably wouldn't have had, like an idea of what was it like outside that environment and I would have just been like okay this is pretty good I may have been unhappy unconsciously not knowing why Uh, but you know just going through the
0: motions you know and doing all that too. During that time did it ever take a personal effect in you like it kind of was so focused on the job that your personal life was different or it -hmm. kind of had an impact on you as an individual.
1: Absolutely. So this is a this is a really interesting um, turning point for me because when I first went into finance, you know, the hours there were just absolutely crazy. Like sometimes 12 to 18 18-hour 18 wow. work days. And uh your your body can only do it for so long and at the time I was in my early 20s and I'd recently come back from China because I actually went to study abroad there in university for one year, learned Mandarin, went back the following year to work in kind of the finance district of Shanghai, which was a really cool experience, but when I came back to Canada to do that, you know, it's just a different culture. It was just kind of like a dog eat dog mentality. Uh, not as bad as New York would be, or like Wolf of mm-hmm. Wall Street or something, but you know, there's elements to it and what, you know, and performance is everything. And there's five people who are ready to take the job right behind you. So if they really don't care if they, you know, if they lay you off or anything. And so I noticed at that time that I just became like, my mind was becoming sluggish. I was becoming forgetful. I started losing weight. I was stressed all the time, drinking like five coffees a day, and it wasn't doing anything for me. And uh, long story short, I had to quit that job. And I eventually became bedridden, just feeling like a a shell of my former self. So I went to the doctor to see what was happening. I probably saw like eight to 10 specialists. And um, each of them said, couldn't really give me any answers what was happening. And then I finally went to the um, gastroenterologist. They specialize kind of in the stomach and in the gut. And they diagnosed me with Crohn's disease, which is basically inflammation of the bowels. And what that causes is, you know, your body to really put out these fires. And for some people it can become serious. Mine was pretty moderate and I was lucky in that way. Um, anyway, the, the side effects of the medication that they were giving me made me feel actually worse. I was becoming bloated. Like my cheeks were so puffy and I just felt like I was, you know, drunk all the time. And I, I never had a drink in so long. And so it was because of that, I realized I felt cornered with my back against the wall. I had to take health into my own hands. And it was at this point, I was spending hours upon hours each day. You know, with, I was doing a sales job, but it was I was really unhappy. And I all I could think about at that time was about that dream of the limitless. And mm-hmm. I felt so far away from that. And that's what really made me feel unhappy. It's like, why would I be spending my time on my on this health when I should be over there doing it? So for me you know, increasing my health and going further down that route will get me back to that place. But what I realized afterwards was it was the health itself. And on that journey, um, that made me feel better than I ever had before to fast forward till today, uh, over the last five years, Crohn's has been in complete 100% remission. Doctors don't know why, but it was through, you know, sleep primarily, but, you know, just this rigorous research every single day. And it bought me the time to do that. And that's a lesson that'll happen for my entire
0: life. You. Before that diagnosis, you talked about putting your body really out there and kind of the long work hours and stuff. And then you go into bed and you're going through this process where you're not like before working, working, working. Was it hard to be home and just not doing anything, but you know that you needed to do this because your body needed to recover? Exactly. Yeah. It definitely didn't feel like it at the time. I, my
1: mentality was And especially coming from my dad, who was of tough love, it's like, if you're not feeling good, just suck it up and get on with it. And that's primarily what I did. I was going to the gym all the time, you know, used to the physical pain, push onwards, keep going, any mental thing, just, you know, push it on But eventually, you know, you can only do so much. It's kind of like, like a boiling kettle just before it pops. And that's kind of what happened to me. And uh, mentally my body needed it, but mentally I didn't realize it at the time. And the only thing I knew was to keep pushing, keep going. But when the, when the mind wants to, but the body isn't willing, it's this huge cognitive disconnect. And that's where I had to uh, kind of sit down with myself. And it was upon lying there, you know, these realizations were starting to come to me, listening to other doctors, you know, um, purchase, like I spent so much money on a lot of these masterminds speaking specialists and they were giving me the answers. And it wasn't, if it wasn't for them then figuring those answers out by myself, I probably would have been uh, backtracking a lot.
0: I think a lot of people listening could relate where they're overworking themselves, kind of putting too much pressure and they're having maybe different side effects or different outcomes than maybe not Crohn's, but Mm. it's still dangerous to your body because Mm. everyone needs to have that rest. Do you Mm. think that the finance? if the finance jobs told you, you might have to work 12 to 18 hours a day, do you think less people would go into that kind of industry? I know it's a question that it's hard to know what people would think, but if you knew that before you went into it, do you feel that you would still go in there? Yeah,
1: it's a really good question. I feel like I still would have, because at the time I was like, I was just so driven and ready to do it. I don't think it hit me until I was actually inside and realizing how much resources it took from me. Like you couldn't go home until the deal was closed. even if that meant like two in the morning. So a lot of people, I think a lot of people go into it, at least at that age with the conceived idea of like what's portrayed in the movies, like, yeah. you know, some movies like the big short and some of these other pretty cool finance movies. And it's like for any young guy who's raging with testosterone, it's it, with a big ego. It's like, hell yeah, I want that. Like, that's the, that's the pinnacle of uh, any guy's life at that age. Um, so I think, and I think a lot of people who go into that role, um, you know, some just have a natural knack of finance and they're just built for it. And that's perfectly okay too. But I think for a lot of people who go into it initially and when that, why they stay in it, you know, it's different reasons and finance is very big too. So like investment banking, you, because the hour, hours are so outrageous, at least at the time it was like, get in, do your one year, two years, and then get out anything longer than that. It's just a detriment to your health. And that's why they hire a lot of people um in their early 20s, just because they can tell them what to do, they have authority over them and they can, you know, work longer hours than probably anyone at any age. Um, you know, they have the energy to do it. So sometimes, you know, you won't be I've had friends who have gone into like fortunately I didn't experience this, but I've had friends, you know, to just like in a 12 hour shift to go to the gym for half an hour to an hour, not that their work wouldn't allow it, but it was just there was so much to do. And if you don't prioritize your health, then it, you know, it's just productivity will decrease. And some people are able to do it with, with everything. And I wonder like genetically, they're just very genetically gifted to to do and be something like that. But I'd say for the average person, you definitely have to be careful. It's not only finance, you know, it could be any kind of shift work, anything you're doing just long and strenuous hours. You really just have to self-assess it's self-awareness at the end of the day uh, to see where
0: you're at and what environment meets your needs. I think it's definitely hard with salary jobs where there's no overtime. So you have to stay until the work is done. And I've always told myself it can wait till tomorrow. It doesn't need to be done right then and there after eight hours or nine hours, depending on the job. It's like, I'm done for the day. Like it can wait. I can worry about it in the morning. If it's that urgent, you should have told, called me earlier in the day. I was been I'm around all day. And I think it's definitely something that kids growing or going to college and going out in the workforce is that needs to be something that they think about is for sure what's this job that you're wanting are you willing to put in the time for longer hours and it's still rewarding and we kind of talked about passion in a certain industry or mm-hmm. do you want to just do the minimum and just mm-hmm. make that money and then move on to the next so yeah for someone that's gone who had crohns and someone that's listening who might be going through that journey right now what are some tips that you would tell them to help them we're not telling them that it will work but What's something that you have done that maybe could, someone could try and see if it works for them?
1: Mm-hmm, for sure. I think it all starts with your mindset. When your mindset's down, it's kind of Pareto's principle. You'll get 80% of the results with 20% of the work. And mindset's a big thing because it, it it's basically the filter through which we see life. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it, it might sound a little bit woo-woo, but if you think about it, like every single thought you have turns into an action, those actions turn into a mm-hmm. habit And those habits shape who you are. And now you multiply those minor decisions, you make on an hourly basis, a daily basis over months and years. And you can think of it as like a a yacht that's going this way by two degrees or a yacht that's going this way by two degrees. Over time, the difference between the two is just, is massive. So I think having a positive mindset and always trying to see the positive of something um, is way better than, you know, not trying at all. Because even if something's negative, um, for example, like what I was going through and what that pain was, I allowed that to empower me. And I, I remember just at the time watching a lot of, cause I was down in the dumps, um, just mentally, cause just everything that happened, everything I expected.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: because of that, you know, it was kind of like, I can either do nothing, sit in my own sadness, or I can get up, see this challenge as something to overcome. And one thing that always got me going was a hero's journey of, you know, going through all those things. And somebody told me at the time, once it was like the perfect advice it, it was the, um, the cave you fear holds the treasure that you seek. And so I kind of knew at that point is like, keep following that wherever that is. And eventually it will go through. And I, I had the advantage just because I was used to pushing through that pain. Everybody, I think just has a different pain tolerance. And, you know, I was probably used to becoming just numb and pushing through it and keep going, keep going, keep going. And it helped me to a degree, but until I burnt out, then uh, you know I had to sit back for a while and just see the positive of it. What can I do in this situation to babysit it and just be like 1% better today than yesterday? And as long as I was doing that, I could slowly see the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey. Talk about how the creation of the Sleep Consultant came about. Great question. So
1: yeah, with um, going back to when I was in finance, researching what was going on with me, doctors told me is the, the, uh, the Crohn's disease. I tried all these holistic things. And so each month I would focus on a specific thing. So one month it'd be like diet, another month, it might be exercise. One month would be sleep. One month would be supplements, you know, just all these things. And when I hit the sleep month, my health just got better so fast. And like my energy was coming back online faster than all these things. The other things really did help like diet and exercise help with better sleep, better sleep helps with it. It's just a cyclical process. And, uh, you know, once, once that kind of happened, I was trying to, I was going more and deeper into sleep, researching studies, seeing how it was working, spending tens of thousands of dollars, with private doctors, picking their brain and everything. And sort of in the process over the years, I felt like I got a PhD indirectly, <laughs> uh, eventually, you know, and I got certifications and all of the subject was sleep and everything else. And, um, yeah. And then I just started helping friends because there were so many people that were just, you know, underslept and they didn't, they didn't see. Cause it, again, it was a badge of honor to, you know, put things under the rug, put sleep under the rug and push on with it, drink five coffees and you'll be okay. But again, you're burning oh. the candle from both ends. So um, it was helping people just locally, friends of friends, their parents. And then it kind of turned into like this lucrative thing where I'm like, wow, this could actually turn into a business. And that's, I looked up online and they talk about something known as a blue ocean, which is If you can find an industry that's untapped, there's a blue and a red ocean that's untapped. You basically get access to those customers only. And how you find that is if you can niche and then niche and then niche, you just hyper niche. And then that industry is yours. And because people see you as a specialist, you have the authority in that niche. Um, cause you know so much about it. And as a result, you can charge higher prices compared to a generalist, you know, they like Jack of all trades, master of none, they can help all these things, but you know, people won't pay for that one special thing. I mean, you'll notice that with nine to five jobs, a lot of specialists sometimes get paid the most, you know, engineering science and a lot of these things. Um, so it was because of that, that, uh, I started, um, developing my business virtually, um, and then just working with clients from around the world, from Asia, to europe south america africa you know north america everywhere and what we do is we send lab test kits you know directly to their house we look at about 750 biomarkers you know all their genetics all their mind stuff like their hormones the same stuff that i was looking at in my body you know trying to become my own guinea pig and it was kind of through the same process that now helping other people too it's like well if you can unlock this this code inside of our biology To really see where some of those maybe biomarker deficiencies are, and you can address them with sort of like a sniper-like approach instead of just machine gun auto fire, just trying things, throwing stuff at the wall, hoping it works, then, uh, you know, that's what can really start helping people when it's a customized type of approach. And I think it was just through that, you know, the trial and error I was doing on myself that um, other people started to gravitate towards it. Then it built on my confidence at the time, because when I saw the results they were able to achieve, it's like, well,
0: why couldn't it work on this person, this person, and that person? For someone that's just researching, trying to find you, they might find that you're not a doctor, but you've gone through this experience where you've gone through Crohn's and it, sleep has helped you and you found a formula that kind of has worked for you. And you have all these people that have tried it and tested. it. Do you think that individual learning about your story and how sleep played a big part in your kind of journey helps them wanting to try and learn more about their sleep's Kind of cycle and stuff absolutely, yeah, the thing is like anybody can find any information online
1: Yes, um, on Google it, really anything and so it's like what separates you from the other guy who can just look at something at like Google like are you just a Like for anybody who's trying to give information now, like somebody could just read a blog, they can go, you know, go somewhere. So what separates things is stories and through stories that's, I mean, we're human beings at the end of the day, we're emotional creatures. And because of that, when somebody hears your story, the pain you went through, they become, uh, it becomes a lot more relatable and they build a lot more trust. Cause I mean, the truth is on online, there's a lot of shady stuff that goes on, you know, People getting scammed. So I think trust now more than ever, especially now because so many people are claiming to be a coach of some kind, like a breakup coach, anxiety coach. And you know, they have no experience in it. They just, you know, read a book maybe and they decide to do it, which isn't bad. Like I encourage anyone to become an entrepreneur that way. But you just really have to assess if you're looking for a quality person, understanding their story, where did it come from? But you still, want, you still want them to have the, the knowledge to back it up. You want them to see that they care about your results as a person, not just about the money. It's, it's really an um, all-factored approach. Um, so I think because of that, people trust me. I really don't try to push things on anybody. I really just try to express what this is. And because of that, I take other people's results pretty personally because I was personally impacted by it. And I remember at the time thinking, like, I never want anybody, like even my worst enemy, to feel like this. Um, you know, so
0: that's where it sort of changes things. And that's why looking back, I think it was blessing in disguise. I think I've gone through that where if the person's gone through something similar or what okay. I'm looking for, I think I take that in a lot more, but then I also have to make sure they can back it up with mm. information, stuff like that. But I think it's so true because you don't want a person that's going. And I think for my story, I'm a type one diabetic. If that uh. person's trying to give me diabetic advice and they don't have it. It's harder for me if they're not a doctor, if they're just a regular individual, I'm not going to listen to them because they don't know what I've been experiencing. So I think for you, that definitely helps because you've gone through it and you kind of learned from it. And your mission is to help others. You're not doing it for the financial aspect of it. Your mission is the value in that person. During this time with the pandemic, has it been harder for your business or have you been able to be creative and come up with new strategies during these times?
1: Yeah, great question. So two of my main businesses I have now, so one's, you know the sleep uh, consulting, uh, working one-on-one, I have a video group, group-based program, that's one. And the other one is where I do copywriting. Copywriting is basically writing to sell a product, writing to sell a service. So anytime you go to a website, you see some writing. In the background, there's some psychology going on tapping into your emotional brain. There's an actual equation to it. It's both an art and a science, but it's really fascinating too. But I do that with biotech companies. So both of those jobs I can do virtually, Mm -hmm. you know, no matter where I am in the world. So that part's been extremely nice. Um, It was kind of uh, just before the pandemic, I was still working in finance more of a part-time basis because I I still didn't want to let that go in some way. And then when the pandemic came, I was like, okay, I'm going full force into it. Now with the sleep, I think people realized with the pandemic going on that, you know, health was pretty important. And so I think, and people were just underslept. They were stressed like financially their jobs. They didn't know what was going on. So it was pretty good with me. I think people were just naturally reaching out more to me because they were just underslept. And a lot of the time people don't reach out for something until the pain is so severe that they'll do so. And when it comes to sleep, somebody thinks, you know, my sleep is okay. And they don't really understand it. Like I'll just drink a coffee and get on with it. The pain point's not there for them to want to take action. But at the time, you know, it was just this, this lingering issue that a lot of people had. And I think that's why they reached out because relationships were being affected. Um, they couldn't focus as much as they wanted to, they were feeling anxiety, depression, and, you know, it just went on and on. So I think a lot of people realize if they focus on themselves
0: first and then the external environment second, that's a better way to live life. Do you like having two different companies in two different industries? It kind of helps you spark ideas that if you do in one, how can I incorporate into the other or vice versa? Yeah, totally. It totally does. My, my brain is, I think, built to be an entrepreneur, to
1: be honest, just from a young age. And because of that, I mean, there's good and bad to that. I mean, the bad is I'm always thinking of new ideas when really I just have to stick to one thing Mm -hmm. and do that thing. So Um, it's really nice between the two because, you know, if I'm doing the sleep and I feel like, you know, doing, getting more into the writing, or if I do the writing and I get sick of that, I can go to the sleep. So I can go back and forth between the two. What's really cool though, with the writing, uh, specifically with the clients I work with in biotech, biotech is such a cool area and the future is going to be biotech. Biotech is like new innovations within genetics, uh, healthcare, um, you know, you can think of some stuff that Elon Musk did, like Neuralink, like tapping into our brain, just solutions to our problems that a lot of millionaires and billionaires are investing in just the future society. And so because of that, I kind of, kind of see the cutting edge of like new lab testing that's coming out and just all these different things we can look at of like, how far can we push our bodies? People say that we live, you know, let's say hundred, but why can't we live to 120, 150? And they're kind of at the forefront of like unlocking this age code so we can do so. And it's just so fascinating. So I can tap back into sleep now and just kind of compare that. So it's all kind of along that same scientific realm,
0: the people that I speak with. And I feel very fortunate that way to to speak with a lot of pretty cool individuals. Early in the interview, I talked about your personal life during your finance job. Now with as an entrepreneur and kind of a different and you create your own schedule. How has that been for you? Have you been able to separate both and still enjoy both aspects?
1: Uh, absolutely. I have been able to, so both between each business and also between my work and personal life. Um, I think how you run your personal life is also how you'll run your business. I think you can't have, for example, like a poor diet, poor exercise and expect to run like an almighty business. It just doesn't happen. Uh, you know, you need to be thinking and focusing on all cylinders every single day. Yep. And you 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 really can't stop. I mean you just have to keep going and you have to have this internal locus of control. And always, you know, each morning, I remember in the early journey when I was waking up, I was like, I really don't feel like doing this today. I have a 10, 12 hour day ahead of me. How am I ever going to do this? And then fast forward to the end of the day, you would finish, you're like, wow, that wasn't bad. Wake up the next day, the same thing. And you keep pushing and your brain slowly rewires, you know, to just achieve these kind of goals. Um, but at the same time, I had to do deep relaxation, like. Deep um, active recovery instead of just passive recovery. So, the hours that I did have to relax, it would be like doing a yoga session, going to the gym, stretching, um, you know, forms of meditation, just all these things to balance it out. And I noticed such a profound effect when I went back to the work. And then between the sleep and between the biotech copy, it, it was really good. Like, I was able to separate the two as well. I did hire some virtual assistants, um, you know, just to help with monotonous things. Um, you know, usually the owner of a business should be focusing on more of the creativity elements of it and more of the monotonous tasks, you know, getting a virtual assistant for it can just help immensely with your time.
0: Looking at your journey, is there anything that you would change or do you feel that each step you have taken, you've learned so much about yourself and you needed those spots to kind of get to where you are today?
1: Yeah, I think it's a mix between the two. Looking back, I would say I probably went stress out so much. And enjoy the journey more because I mean, if I'm doing the action anyway, why should I be hard on myself? Like if I'm giving it my best and giving it my all, mm-hmm. why should I beat myself up that I wasn't trying hard or I should have worked three hours more, but you know, hindsight, hindsight's always 2020. 20. And when you look back, um, I mean, in the moment you're just absolutely wiped, absolutely exhausted. And like, you couldn't stay awake for three hours more. Um, and you know, I go to bed earlier. So the next morning I would have more energy and, you know, it would just It would just um, trickle into that. So, yeah, it's a it's a really good question. I think um, to just enjoy the journey more. But I try not to have any regrets. Um, One thing with me, I was thinking like, if if only I didn't have the corons and I didn't have to go through this, I'd be so much further ahead. But the truth is, you know, like we everything is sort of a blessing in disguise. We learn more about ourselves with these things that we have versus somebody else. I mean, if you just take the perfect individual, uh, you know, perfect health their whole life, like going through everything. The one downside to that sometimes is anytime they experience adversity or any negative thing, they don't deal with it as well as somebody who has had to go through that struggle. And in order to grow, sometimes you do have to go through some struggle. Like I had some friends that were, um, you know, they're part of a a wealthy family and, uh, you know, they had everything given to them from a super young age. And some of them were only children. But, you know, anytime I was around them and they've experienced just some kind of hiccup that I or somebody else who's experienced struggle might say, like, it's not a big deal. They would just absolutely freak out and blow up. Um, You know, and that's kind of what I thought life was all about was kind of learning and growing from those experiences. But, you know, you see it a lot with um, like celebrity kid actors they get into drugs and, you know, all those kind of things. So it's definitely a fine line. What we see on Instagram and social media is not always what it's what it's meant to be behind the
0: scenes. I think when I watch these shows where these parents or the families live these lavish lifestyles, and then you see how these kids react when they have to do a chore in their house because they've grown up where they've had people do it for them. And I'm like, I had to do them when I grew up, but I think learning and growing and being able to adapt and learn in situations helps me so much. And that Mm -hmm. I think I would prefer the lifestyle that I had than something Mm -hmm. where I don't have to worry about anything. I come from that wealthy family because I think it's made me who I am today. And I take those things for granted where if I have to clean my house, I'm going to do it because I want to make sure that I'm living how I want to live. So I definitely can agree with that, that those challenges that I face, I'm happy that it's who I am today. It's not my identity, but it has given me identity skills that people yeah. look at me and they're like, wow, you have this or this. And they're like, yeah. how did you? And then you yeah. learn even more about that person or they learn more about me in those situations.
1: Yeah, yeah it's, it's really interesting how it all works. I would say as long as that struggle isn't so bad that you experience trauma from that in yep. some way where it actually hinders you and gives you like this PTSD like effect, like, cause that can happen too with some people where they just push this, push the needle too far. But if you're constantly pushing into your edge each and every day and any adversity that comes your way, or if, if at least your expectation is like, is to expect that adversity to come and not be like, Mm -hmm. Oh, whenever it comes, I want to run away from it. That mindset shift, mindset shift alone can really change things in the right direction. And again, it's all it's all the 1%, right? Like I said, it's going like each day and then you multiply that. There's a the book, Atomic Habits, uh, really cool book, highly recommend it. It's all about you know, like building habits into your schedule and uh, sticking to it in, in the most effortless way. And he talks about if you just pers- um, increase 1% per day for the entire year, you're, by the end of the year, you're like 38 times better than you were at the beginning of the year, which is crazy. I mean, just to think that you can grow, which is exponential by the way Yeah, um, you can grow at that rate. So, I mean, it's just not to, not to be like a, like a raw rock kind of guy, but it's, it's like, you can, you can accomplish so much by just going into this. And I'm, I'm a very, I mean, just being in finance, I'm very practical and I'm always want to question these things at first, but just doing it myself, seeing it firsthand, seeing other people do it and them experiencing it firsthand. I, I I mean, I can really, um, uh,
0: testify to that. So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish both personally and professionally in the next few years? That's a really good question. Um,
1: I've kind of, at this point, I'm just enjoying everything so much that I'm really just taking it day by day and living in the moment. Cause again, I'm trying not, this is another lesson I started of learn where I'm not trying to look too far ahead or look back. It's just, everything's going in the right direction. I'm putting in the hours. Why not just enjoy life while I can, but I do, I mean, I can't just, you know, live in the moment and just, you know, um, not think about the future. So one thing I think about the future, you know, five, 10 years from now, I would love to help people like a number of value in the next five, 10 years. If I could help like a million people with their sleep, if I can talk to a bunch of people and help them with their sleep, a lot of people have, um, like they know about diet, they know about exercise, personal trainers, nutritionists, but sleep is kind of that one remaining that we're all doing it anyway. So mm-hmm. why don't we, and it's just easier to do. I mean, all it take sometimes as is, is a few tweaks for you to do it compared to exercise, like going to the gym for two hours for somebody who's never worked out before. That's very difficult yeah. or like three teaspoons, five cups of this for, for diet and stuff. It's just hard to stick on, but sleep can just be so simple and, you know, can, increase our metabolism and all of our hormones make us lose weight even while we sleep and just injuries and just all these other things that goes on and on
0: um it's pretty amazing stuff the final question i'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge
1: Really good question. So I would say self-awareness is one of the biggest things. And on my own podcast, I've, I asked sort of similar questions and people who've been in like specific, you know, fields for a really long time. And that's kind of the common thing I see is people who are very extremely self-aware and how do you become self-aware? Well, one is, journaling and journaling is probably one that I see every single person make, you know, journaling seems like, like you write about your feelings. Like who would do that? And I was, I was the first person to think about something like that too, but it could be as simple as just like, what are you thinking about right now doing a brain dump? Because if you don't do a brain dump, your mind is going to be constantly thinking like, I think on average we get about 66,000 thoughts a day. Wow. And so if we have no organization with those thoughts, how are we going to expect to really get anything done? Like, At the end of the day, we are, we have these very primal monkey minds that run in emotions a reptilian brain. Yeah, we do have this prefrontal cortex that's controlled, but we're actually a lot stupider than we think a lot of us don't want to admit it. So we really need these tools to organize things in a certain way. So journaling is really good one, like to-do list, obviously, but if you can just write down prior to going to bed, 90 minutes before going to bed, what did you accomplish today? Like, what do you want to do tomorrow? What are penny things lingering on your mind? It could be anything negative, anything positive. And what that'll actually do is a little fun side tip is it will, um, be less of a load for your brain to carry while it sleeps. And so you probably will be less likely to wake up in the middle of the night because your brain can sleep through it, opposed to having some kind of a nightmare and waking up from all that. So, um, I would say that's number one, uh, number two, meditation is extremely important for us to focus and allow. And again, meditation, people don't know how to necessarily do that. All it takes usually is about 20 minutes. Um, you can do something, for example, like muse is a guided meditation. It's a tool you can use. That's a headband. You can, uh, on YouTube, there's, um, a channel called the honest guys. They're a great resource for guided meditation, but eventually if you can just open or close your eyes, focus on your breath for 20 minutes. And anytime you notice that thought slide back on the breath, and it's just this constant reinforcement back on the breath, back on the breath. And what that does to your body on a hormone level. I mean, this, the science is in the benefits are there. This stuff obviously works, but a lot of people don't realize that until they do it themselves and experience the difference. I mean, they show um it changes your brain, your gray matter inside of your brain, the synapses, how fast it fires. All it takes is eight weeks of you doing that. And uh, eight weeks goes by a lot faster than you think. So that would be number two. Number three, I would say, is getting more in touch with your um you, a lot of us are cut off from our uh, from our body. We kind of look at this our body as this secondary vehicle. To transport our transport our mind and our brain to you know from point A to B. And if we can get more into our body, it'll actually take us less out of our mind. And with that, we're able to get more done. We can feel more grounded, more centered. And because of that, we can make better decision making and all the other things that come with that. So I would say those three are sort of the biggest. Um, I mean, I could go on and on about diet, exercise, and all these other things if they want to rise to the challenge, but just know. If you focus on the internal first with whatever obstacle you're going to experience and you live a more effortless, um, like if your reality is more effortless and you're able to get more done without having to push, 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 instead of forcing something, you have just this innate power in order to do so just because you like your stress is on point hormones on point. All these other things are on point, like what like people can probably remember to a point where they just felt like they're 100% best self no, no, you know, negative thoughts, you know, they could do anything at any time, imagine being able to experience that, like, during most of the time of your waking hours, and the truth is, it is possible, you just have to, you know, slowly work on this and don't go from zero to 100 just do baby steps 1% each day. Cause at the end of the day, it is all relative. As long as you feel 2%, you know, 5% better, that can be significantly different for you. So always just, you know, go into the edge, focus on the internal first, focus on your health first instead of what a lot of people say um, I speak with is putting lipstick on a pig. And for example, just drinking coffee and putting bandages on a, on a deeper issue that's going on, focus on actually getting to the root cause of what that is. And then from there you can, uh, you know, it's like a leaking bucket. You can't just put cups underneath as it continues to leak. You actually have to seal up the, um, the holes that are inside and then it'll stop leaking. So
0: if you take that approach to any obstacle that you have, um, I think you'll definitely be in the right place. Well, Riley, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you.
1: Thank you so much, Alex. I really appreciated uh, time talking with you today and having me on. And
0: uh, yeah, all the best. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe to all major audio platforms, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel for full-length, episode video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.